Big day, Jennifer. We have a very special guest. I'm still hungover from Faded Mates Live. I'm sorry. Is that- I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Faded Mates Live was on Friday. Very exciting. Um, but also on Tuesday, yesterday, yesterday, for everybody listening on the day this drops, and why wouldn't you be listening on the day this drops? Why isn't this the first thing you do on Wednesday mornings? Uh, a new book was released by my friend and one of my favorite authors, Sophie Jordan called The Scandalous Ladies of London, or that's the series title, and the book is called The Countess, and we are very lucky to have Sophie with us today. Hi, Sophie. Hi, I feel so lucky. Thank you. Sophie is a long-standing friend of the pod. Yeah, and I was like, I, you know, I keep thinking we should count how many times, but we'll have to do that later, like at well, least a yeah, couple well, of times, right? Well, wait a right? second. Are we there? Are we at five? Are you a five-timer? Oh my gosh, I have to be close. I feel like maybe I'm four. It could like, be four. I feel like maybe I'm not five. Well, you know, because when you're a five-timer, you get a special, you're in a club. You learn a special handshake. Oh, we have a special I code. That's exciting. We have a private club in New York City that you can attend. <laughs> no. All those Some things. dark under dungeon. Yes. Exactly. A speakeasy, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome, everyone, to Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Pocup, a romance reader and editor. And we're with Sophie today. So, Sophie, we are dying to hear about The Countess. The Countess. It's a book one in a series. You know, I kind of had this idea of taking, uh, making something really fun and modern and Regency. And I do watch a lot of reality television. And I mean, I'm, I think the, the Real Housewives show is great and so much drama. Do you guys, have I, have I told everybody that on the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, I taught, like there's a kid whose mom is one of the, the housewives, and I taught him before he moved there. So it's like kind of funny to be like, oh, yeah. So you are sort of related. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. I'm sure he thinks of me fondly <laughs> often. Listen, <laughs> you're relative. That real housewives, housewives, like, whole world. It, it's when right. it for I remember when the first one came out, you know, back in the day, I was like, no way does this become, like, who wants to watch this? And then, and now we're all... <laughs> How many seasons and you know, cities later? Two hundred seasons in, um, but the but so Sophie, you came up with this idea that you wanted to write basically like the scandalous ladies of London, right? Which right, was exactly Regency era Real Housewives, right? Exactly this group of women, not necessarily debutantes, but like you know, experienced women, some of them married, some of them widowed, some of them uh, not married yet, Mm -hmm. or, you know, there may be one young girl in the group, but they're kind of all walks of life. And I kind of feel like, well, that's how I am in my life with my friend group. Mm -hmm. I had cocktails recently with someone with four of us. And I felt like the youngest woman in our group was like 35. And there was someone who was 55. And then the 35 year old just like, announced she was pregnant and I was like how is this possible I have a friend who's having a baby you know it's wild like but we all come together and have these shared experiences um and I just wanted to create you know that kind of you know really a girl gang that feels it's I don't know how I would be in my life without my women friends you know like my girls my people 
that I have surviving, you know, in my writing world and my professional world, I have them, I have them in my, you know, here, local in my neighborhood, my mom friends, you know, yeah. it's how I, I get through. I mean, it does feel like there was something in the water at and and maybe it wasn't in the water. Maybe it was the pandemic. Altogether. I was going to say, was it the pandemic water? It was the COVID water. And if we all just sort of, I feel like throughout across romance, a lot of the series, I mean, across the world, so many of us reconnected with friends. I mean, I remember right at the very beginning of the pandemic, like having Saturday night movie nights with people I would never see weekly, but like they were people all, all, all across the country. We were all locked in our house and like trying to find community however we could find it. Um, you know, I started writing a girl gang series at the beginning of the pandemic. You started writing a girl gang series at the beginning of the pandemic. I don't think we're alone. I think there are a lot of us who are doing similar things. And um, yeah, it is that sort of search for community during a time when we were all stuck at home staring at, you know, ourselves and maybe, you know, the one or, you know, two people who we live with. Right, right. Well, and it was interesting because I went back and we had... um Okay, you are going to laugh. It was March 4th of 2020 was when we had our episode that was like women's friendship and romance. Oh my God, it was right the before. Week, literally the week before Sweet, everything baby. shut down, right? <laughs> and it's funny because, so I was like, I sent Sarah the link and was kind of like, okay, here's what we talked about last time. And I have to tell you I mean, some of those books are still my comfort reads, but I have a whole new list of comfort reads that essentially like came out during the pandemic. Yep. And I'm fascinated. I mean, I looked at that date and was like, holy moly. Like, because these books, even though almost every book I'm going to talk about, like was not on that list at that time, like these books have become like literal comfort reads for me where I looked at this list mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, I'm not going to talk about new things today necessarily. Every book I talk about today is a book that I like needed during the pandemic. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I, it was really interesting to be like, oh my gosh, like we were really um, chant for a little bit of for foreshadowing there, I guess. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Sophie, but this isn't just a pandemic thing for you. You have written a number of romance series that are connected by heroines. You know, before I came on, I kind of was looking at my bookshelf. I'm like, do I ever write a series that are connected by men or the heroes? And the I devil, don't Devil's think I Rocks, realize. maybe? Devil, sort Devil's of, Rock, I would say. I don't know. It's like a rebel. You know, it was very like revealing to me. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I identify with through these women. And sometimes there's relatives and sisters and sometimes they're not. Um, you know, my very, you know, the, Pen the Penwick School for Virtuous Girls, my debutante files. Like I think I started it. It was Rogue Files. And then I was like, hmm. This, no, it's the debutante files. <laughs> like, there's just more yeah, yeah. connection and affinity I have creating these bonds between women. Uh, if it's just familiar to me, it feels very real to me. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's my roots in Golden Girls. I don't know, guys. I mean, they are the OG, right? <laughs> they were like, sure. I yes, play I agree. Reruns of the Golden Girls as I write, like because I've seen each one a thousand times. I could nail some Golden Girls trivia. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, that's comfort to me is have them playing in the background, like women of a certain age that are still living 
and, you know, living life, finding romance, finding love, have, you know, they have careers, they have interests, and they have each other through everything. That's really interesting. Yeah. When I think about some of my favorite movies, like, you know what I mean? Or like TV shows, I think that's like a common thread. Like when I think about Buffy, like to me, it's like Buffy and her like Buffy and Willow, right? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, like Girls Trip, that movie that is so funny. I mean, right? Like, so I do, I think that there are things that I really am drawn to for that. And I think one of the things that's also really interesting is like how... There's, you know, it's funny because I often say to people, everyone who's heard me say this before, I'm sorry, which is kind of like when people are like, why do you love romance? I often say it's because every time I read a romance where a woman is a main character, she's like a fully formed character, her life, her values, what she cares about, Mm -hmm. what she wants, what that is all important and treated seriously. Nothing about a woman's life is like a throwaway in a book, right? In a romance novel. And um, and so, you know, like the full kind of range of like women's friendships, like not even, I mean, with each other, with their mothers, with their cousins, with their grandmothers, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a world where like women are so like richly developed. And I think that that's, you know, and so, you know, when I think about my favorite books, it's like a lot of them have that like I mean, and this is a big change from the early days of romance, right? Where it was like the woman alone. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. really interesting because I've obviously known Sophie for a long time. And I know that so many of your favorite old old school romances are these like Garwoods, Lindsay's, Devereaux's, right. where mm-hmm. like the characters – it was a woman on an island. Yeah. Right. Right. And she had they are. That's true. to develop her own community through over the course of the book. But in so many of like, I know Sophie loves an old medieval, same, same as I do. But part <laughs> of the joy of those mm-hmm. old medievals is the character arrives alone. Right. Yes. And then builds a family for herself. Like it's that, you know. Sure. The, Repayment the bro- for the Lady Kincaid. Right. Exactly. Right. 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 No, and that makes me think, I mean, I was a sucker for that song trilogy by Catherine Coulter, medieval, three, you know, three books, heroin driven. And they were, they were, I mean, I feel like in any novel, romance, we're writing an underdog story. So that feels so real in a historical setting. Of course, the woman's going to be the underdog, you know, Mm -hmm. she's... She's not a man. And yeah. she's in the a, one in who a gets time and an error. plucked yeah. out of exactly. her world and set down in something else. Right. I mean, these are female-centric stories. They have the greatest conflicts, the greatest challenges. That's who I empathize with. That's who I want to focus on. Mm. Yeah. One of the other things I guess I would say, too, is, like, at least when I was – I wonder if, like, young women still feel this way, right? But, like, I remember in – like my teens and 20s this like feeling of that there were some friends you had that when they fell in love or like started a romantic relationship Mm -hmm. that their their friendships right became like secondary Mm. right oh for sure we all know those we Mm -hmm. all know those people and um, mm-hmm. I think the other thing that I really think is interesting about these books, about thinking about like female friendship in romance, 
is like watching and seeing how women like navigate, right? Like keeping those close friendships, even as they are like bringing someone new into their lives. Right. 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 I think about that, you know, I have a 20 year old daughter and I think about that as she's entering into a relationship. I listen. Mm. I don't, that's what we do as parents anyway. Right. We listen more at that age and I'm listening and I'm like, is she still talking to that girl, that one that she was besties with, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I, I want that. I want that for her so badly because I know how, I hate to say, you know, yeah. in, the, in the beginning, it's all sunshine and rainbows and like, but in a year, you need these women in your life. You need them. And like navigating and like figuring out how, how to do that, I think is. How to have both. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Well, also, I mean, one of my very favorite tropes and also and i think it's born of reality among you know with women and friendship is um i love it when somebody you know finds a a hero right a heroine finds a hero say and then the rest of the friend group is like now let's test him like is he worthy yes. of <laughs> I love us? it love it right and i mean that's I've right. certainly been doing I I find myself doing that in every Hell's Bells book. Like, is this person worth mm-hmm. like does he mm-hmm. join because he of course will become part of the whole group, right? There's it's I find often right. that, you know, so I'm writing this girl gang series and I find often that, you know, now I'm writing the third book in the series. And there were a couple of moments as I was writing this book where I was like, there are way too many people in this scene. And it's because now there are these two dudes who are sort of honorary bells <laughs> because they married in. Right. Right. And so they well, and they're, it's... So they're in the group now. Right. Um, so, you know, I had to send them away to get, you know, actual it's tricky because done. you're writing a book. That already has a lot of girls. Exactly, right. <laughs> You're writing a book that already has multiple female. You know, exactly. There's these heroines and you have heroines of future books and you're like, and now we're adding their men in the mix. And there's like yeah. 13 and people. Like, there's too room. many people in this room. <laughs> right. But the right. point I is, know. is that like, it's, that joy of like, which, yes, which was yes. a joy that I think it's the same DNA as the joy that I have, you know, when I read like a best friend's yeah brother mm-hmm. story no a brother's wait yes a brother's best friend story where the brother is like you better not harm like hurt right. my sister right right this right. is you better not hurt my friend and there is that sort of powerful moment um in these books where you know women are able to play that role and it's a fun that's one of my favorite moments what i in the Countess, they're part of a group. They're they're within this group, but certain women in the group would never say their best friends or even like another woman. Mm. But they're in the group because they have this mutual shared friend. And I felt like that was very authentic. Oh, yeah. Because I think we've all known that, right? Yeah. Like, okay. I know she, you know, you're looking across the table and you're like, we're not each other's people, but we have a shared bestie. Right. So that's what kind of happens also in the countess that I think is really that was interesting and fun to navigate I nowhere at no time did I want to have portray women hating on other women but it felt very authentic that maybe they're just not each other's people and and then to get without spoiling to a point where I want them to act in a way that they are each other's allies at the end of the day at the end of the day they will come together 
Right. Um, that's kind of my goal. Before we get into recommendations, and I know we all have recommendations for series that do this really well. I wonder if let's talk a little bit more about The Countess because I think what's really fascinating and something that you come back to over and over again in your books, Sophie, is um, this is a character. Well, first of all, nobody writes a woman against the wall, a heroine against the wall like you do. Um, And the fascinating thing about The Countess is that the main character of The Countess, the heroine of The Countess, is married at the beginning of the book. Mm. And um, she, does she not has fall to in, be to be a countess, she right? She does not yeah. fall in love yeah. with her husband. So no. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like tackling that because this is the first time you've done that, right? Definitely. You did bri- the book I refer to as Bride Overboard. <laughs> Me too. Which I can what never remember the title that? of <laughs> because in the first yeah. chapter she is married and she is literally tossed overboard by her terrible husband. But that's a different situation. This character is married for a while to a terrible man. He is. And but I felt like that is so authentic to the to the era yeah. where these today you read a contemporary and the heroine's married and she has an affair and we're I think we're much more we're just not as sympathetic to that because we're like, get a divorce, get out of it. What are you doing? Um, but those were that was not an option, or it just wasn't an easy thing. No, you to need do. an act of parliament to get a divorce. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and she didn't necessarily have as much autonomy in marrying him in the beginning, right? So you know, shy of being an outright arranged marriage, it was essentially these are arranged marriages. They get into this relationship. And it is not healthy in any way. So it's funny, though. There's still readers who are a little like, oh, but I don't like it. I'm like, well, if you're going to look at it through a lens of 2023, I get why you don't like it. But it feels very real. Why this woman who is in a marriage really not of her own making, in a situation not of her own making, and she still doesn't go out looking for love. She's not trying to fall in love with someone else. Um, and she doesn't want to step outside her marriage. In fact, I think I have it where she's like, that's what he does. I don't want to be anything like him. Uh, yeah, she doesn't look for this and she certainly doesn't look for it. The, he- the hero and is the, a suitor of her daughters, someone her husband has handpicked for her daughter. So there's a lot. Who the daughter <laughs> yeah, is. She's definitely, yes. I know. It's so much drama. He's a little younger. Uh, Yeah, she's definitely up against the wall here. Uh, There's something else different is, you know, I did incorporate points of view of her girl gang into the book. That's not usually I I, traditionally I've only ever had the points of view of the hero and the heroine. Mm -hmm. So it was different. It was fun writing such a uh, layered uh, story with lots of voices and I know readers are picking up like, which one's next? Yeah, of you course. Know? So that's, you know, that's fun. Uh, but and she so she's a heroine, as Sarah said, up against the wall. But each one of them is and will be. Yeah. I think there's only maybe one in the group that's not married. Uh, and I don't know. You know, it's a group of six, seven. Not I don't know necessarily that everyone's going to get a story. I do know that the Duchess is next. That's, you know. I know hers is next and we'll see. And I'm on the fence, which one it's fun to have so many options. I know the Duchess is next, but I'm not sure who the third one is. Cause there are lots of options and they're all living like <laughs> not, not their best life. So they all deserve something better. 
That's really fun. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. also I I one of the things I have really come to like I think that those like moments where you get a third or an outside outside of the love interest point of view can be really mm-hmm. effective to you know there's things that they can't know or see and I really right. I really I think it's something that is always really fun in a romance because it is uncommon in the genre right and I, I so I yeah. really that that sounds really fun too it was it was definitely a new tool like something and writing a scene where like asking myself in the past I used to just ask myself this you know what I want to happen in the plot what's moving ahead here who needs which POV should this be told through should it be the hero or the heroine which perspective is the most important is how I would tell it but now I get to ask myself that same question you know with so many more possibilities like is it is it going to be her her adult daughter? Is it going to be her best friend? Is it going to be the the friend in the group that she doesn't really like, but she's in the group? You know, there's all these possibilities now on how, in how to tell the story. Do you think that as you continue through the series, you'll continue doing that? Will that be like a hallmark of this series? It's so funny. I think I'll have multiple POVs, but I'm doing something different in book two that I've never, I, I didn't even know I was doing it. I started to write it and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> so that well, now it, I want to know. You but. can you can teach a dog new tricks, okay? Um, it's yeah, I'm doing something right now as I'm writing the Duchess, it's telling a scene uh, that I don't see. I don't want to give it don't away. Give it away. Don't, don't give it away. Don't give it away. I'm not going to give it away. <laughs> You'll have to return in a, in a year, and we'll talk about it. Yes, I mean, exactly. I just think what's fascinating about this is. You know, you say you can teach an old dog new tricks, but, um, you know, so often when we talk about romance, when people from outside the genre talk about romance and and within, it starts to feel like, oh, well, I know what to expect from whatever author's books, right? Like, I know what it's going to be. And so it's always cool, I think, when somebody tries something different right when you start and especially when it's something that's really uncommon in the genre like lots of different povs right um so i think i'm just so excited for this book i'm so excited for everybody to read it um and i i love this group of women a whole lot because they do feel so real and that's what keeps us going right and that's what i think keeps will keep this genre going too like you know what mom used to make, but different. Used to make, but different. Yeah. You know, yeah. like exactly yeah. the same, but completely different. I think right. about that all exactly. the time. Exactly. No so pressure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by the Vow Collective. Vow is an organization of writers fighting for fair pay and transparency. Together, they work on creative projects, video games, and romance anthologies. They sure do. And their new romance anthology, which is called Long Summer Nights, is an LGBTQ plus paranormal romance anthology set in a shared urban fantasy universe in a made up jewel of the Gulf Coast city called Long Summer. And in this kind of special city are demons and fae and vampires and ghosts and also humans. 
And it's this fascinating place where there is an unspoken agreement that supernatural beings have to hide their true nature. But we all know that that's not how it works. Not in this city of (laughs) monsters. It has a way of bringing lovers together with magical results. There are 15 separate stories in this anthology. Uh, There's something here for everyone, no matter what kind of monster you love to read about. I'm going to bet that it's in here. And I'm super excited because the other cool thing about this. It's so cool. Is that it is not available on Amazon. You can only get it through Kobo or itch, I-T-C-H dot I-O. We are going to put the links in show notes. And right now, if you're podcatching software Uh, does this, you'll be able to click the link right in the chapter header, and it will take you to vowtogether.itch.io slash longsummer-nights, where you can buy this anthology um, and have a great time reading 15 paranormal romances. Absolutely. 100% of the profits go to the creators, so it's a really cool way to find out some new authors. I am personally excited about the one Listen to this, Sarah. A person who is afraid of dolls falls in love with a living doll. Woo. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's going to happen. Thank you so much to the Val Collective for sponsoring this week's episode. Um, okay, so I know you came with recommendations for other series. So this series is I called did. The Real the Scandalous the Ladies Real of Housewives. London. <laughs> the Real Housewives of London. <laughs> this series is The Scandalous Ladies of London, and the first book, The Countess, is out now. Um, you have a number of other series. If there's if somebody reads The Countess or you know wants to start with a series that you've written um that is centered on you know, women's friendships, where would you recommend they start? I, I have a, I'm really disposed towards um, my Henwick school for virtuous girls. They began at a essentially like, a, you know, they were orphaned. They're like at a home together and then went out into the real world, but still always come back together. That's like real, like girls that have your back. I talk about that with my daughter. There's a there's certain friends of hers that she want with her in a knife fight, and that's you know yes, that's what those those girls are. Everyone, the, those heroines, and yes, that series begins with my favorite Sophie Jordan book ever. Um, I did, which is Sins <laughs> of a Wicked Duke, which I yes. recommend to people um, with two things. One, it's a heroine in disguise as a footman, and two, mm-hmm. there is a bathtub scene that will wreck you. <laughs> and like if those two add, things don't sell it for yeah. you i don't know and i don't even right <laughs> I, Why are I you was gonna here? add i think yeah and i think i think sarah's favorite book is in that series it's the yes, first one yes, it in that series yes and it's terrific yes so if you but if you would look up if you could just do a search for the pedwick school virtuous girls and the whole series would pop up um what else no, I think I'm that's not, a good start. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. um, do you have? I know you have other recommendations. Do you want to? Mm-hmm. Do you want to start? Do you have a, yeah. a series? That I you did. Recommend? I did just. I read a couple months ago. I had an early copy of Liana De La Rosa's uh, <gasps> Anna Maria and the Fox. This is like I cannot wait to read mm-hmm. it. It's very different. Very. I mean, I love that it's you know they are linked through sisters, so you get the first sister in the first book, and they are they are you know Mexican heiresses in England, 
it's just a different it's just a different history too that is revealed like what's going on in mexican history at the time and you know how that relates to the world and what's in britain uh why they're there i don't want to give away too much you know they were really essentially there they've kind of fled so um it's a great story i'm really excited for the you know the next two books the other sisters um what oh adriana herrera's second cover just the island oh yes starts a scandal I saw the cover. I mean, that just dropped and I'm super excited. I think, you know, most of us should be familiar with the first book in that series of, you know, the Caribbean era. So, um, excited about that as well. I think Joanna Shoup's Uptown Girls, if you love a different era, because I love that Gilded Age. Yeah. I was going to talk about that one too, especially one of the things that I, I mean, and look, like people, like I said, I'm, I, I'm not bringing anything new to the table today. Like I am just talking about mm-hmm. like my favorites, <laughs> but the the one the thing I love about that series, right? It's three sisters. Mm-hmm. Is they're all really and now I don't have any sisters, so part of me is just like fascinated by books about sisters in general. But um, the the thing I love about that series is like in book one and book two you get Mamie and um Florence just like breaking all the rules doing whatever Mm -hmm. they want right and then when it's Justine's book they are like what are you doing how dare you Mm -hmm. and I (laughs) am obsessed with like the way the like the portrayal of those sisters like evolves right because you're kind of like justine's like what the hell are you two talking about look what Mm -hmm. you two did (laughs) right how How dare you you tell me that i can't do that and i think that it's i really love that because i do think it really taps into the ways in which um like you know do as i say not as i do it really is Which like is so sister drama for yeah, sure. yeah 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 um so i like that's like one of my favorites is like how just pissed justine is in that book in the <laughs> devil of downtown which is book number three that like her sisters who just like especially with florence like you're like wait florence is policing yeah. justine <laughs> you what? own a casino now <laughs> what are you doing yes, yes. yeah <laughs> so i think that's that to me was on my list too just like how great the portrayal of those sisters are and how i think too the thing about like that sarah was saying like uh you know like we get to weigh in on your choice now of we're love in interest. <laughs> right 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 that I think you'll like the Anna Marie, the Anna Marie and the Fox. They're very like that with each other. Those sisters. There's no one that's going to call you out like a sister. And it doesn't uh-huh. matter what, you know, like you said, right. like, I can behave this way, but who are you? You know, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Um, I, it's funny. I, uh, I'm the same way. I, I sort of started thinking about sisters and friend groups together. Um, but I, you mentioned uh, Sophie, the Las Leonas, Adriana's historical mm-hmm. series, but mm-hmm. I also think we have to talk about Dating in Dallas, mm-hmm. which is Adriana's mm-hmm. contemporary series. It begins with Here to Stay, and the second one is called um, On the Hustle. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And, mm-hmm. and the second one is called On the Hustle. And that is a friend group of what I love about that series is it begins here to stay. It's set in Dallas. 
Here to Stay, the main character of Here to Stay, is living in Dallas and has a really rich sort of group of friends in Dallas. Um, And you fall in love with these friends almost instantly um, before you even fall in love with the hero in this book. And then, of course, the hero comes in and they, they do the kind of thing that friends should be doing. What I love about that series, though, is that in the second one and on The Hustle, the heroine moves to Dallas. She yeah. sort of takes off from New York and moves to Dallas. And it, the rom- the romance itself is so great because the heroes – the premise of the romance of that book is that the hero is her boss and she quits because he's terrible. Yes. And the moment he quits, again, full catnip trope for me, he realizes, oh, God, I can't live without her. And then he has to, like, basically mm-hmm. grand gesture his way across Chase the her. United States to. And that is what. It's <laughs> Love it. Amazing. That's all I want. Suffer. Yeah. I want men suffering. Um, and so, and she he gets to, so they both end up in Dallas. But when she gets there, she has to build a community. It's not just, mm-hmm. like, it's there. She meet, she She knows people. She meets people. But. It's not her community. It's not her place. And mm-hmm. she has to sort it Make out. It. And mm-hmm. that kind of modeling, I, I mean, like, is that is that the word I'm looking for? I guess it kind of is yeah. where, mm-hmm. like, it's hard to build mm-hmm. a community of friends when you are older, yeah. right? And when you right. move to a new place and Adriana Adriana marks that in a really great way. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so, and so that is really, I really want, I would, li- and I was thinking this morning, like, I would like more. One of my favorite, not to like, I try really hard not to talk about my books, but one of my favorite mm-hmm. things I think I've ever, the experience of writing a character, and as you both know, the experience of writing for me is very rarely positive. Um, but one of the most positive things I feel like I ever felt while I was writing was when I was writing A Scott in the Dark, where the heroine, the premise of that book is that the, the heroine is just desperately lonely. Like she's yeah. never had a family. I love that book. She's never had friends. She is the most beautiful girl in any room and everyone hates her for it. And she is. Oh, my heart aches. She is yeah. so lonely. Lonely. Yeah. And she meets that is the that's the series um, scandal and scoundrel, and it it is knitted together by a group of sisters, but she is not one of them. She is just this like lonely girl who then falls into this group of sisters, and they embrace her, mm-hmm. and so her happily ever after becomes yeah. not just the, the hero, enormous but- duke who right. breaks furniture and knocks down doors, though that is great for her the but also finding a community of girls who are have her back which is really interesting it it really is like you're writing a dual love story in that sense you know like when you have the tight knit knit group of friends and then you have the heroes it is like we're crafting something that is like two stories two love affairs um Mm -hmm. And those stories, I I can remember the ones that I remember like that. Like when you're talking about like a woman who's an island at the beginning and the books are so much better. The ones that where they do fall into friends, right? they fall into love and then they fall into friends. And 
Oh, well, just the, the aching you feel for her in the beginning and where she arrives. Yeah. I mean, well, as Jen it's, said, like, I feel like mm-hmm. the primordial one of those is Julie Garwood's The Gift, which is, oh yeah, you know, when mm-hmm. she, like, she becomes a part of the clan and there is that moment at the end where they Family. they all pay mm-hmm. for her. They pay for her. Payment for Lady oh, Kincaid, yeah. yes. as Payment. you said. Yeah. Payment yeah. for the Lady Kincaid. So... Mm-hmm. I want to talk about um, a book I I really liked that I think did this so well is a book called, um, and I've talked about this book before again, sorry everybody, you have to listen to me talk about it again, a book called I Kissed a Girl by Jeanette Alexander. And mm-hmm. in this book, it takes place on the set of a horror movie. And... <laughs> There is Noah Birnbaum is the makeup artist on the horror movie. And this is like a really big deal for her. I think she's even like essentially like it's like a new adult romance has maybe left college because this is like a, I don't know, like a union job essentially, right? So like if she gets this credit, then she could actually work bigger and better movies. So it's almost like this really wild thing she's doing to like go out. And she and her best friend um, and her roommate, who's um, is like kind of like a little there like part of the queer community but like a little judgy maybe of like the kind of lipstick lesbians now again i'm really Mm -hmm. apologizing if i get all this like nomenclature wrong but (laughs) the the heroine the her love interest is a woman named lila silver who is like the gonna be the final girl in the movie and in and horror the final girl is like the last one alive right like literally like talk about a classic horror trope and this is a big deal for her because she is like it's her first like kind of starring role she's never made it to be the final girl before but she like really didn't feel like she could come out she came from like a small michigan town like up in the like way up like not to the upper peninsula but pretty close and she's really like the way that like lila and noah have to essentially engage in like the kinds of things i like i'm still like a qualified like i still get to be part of the queer community even if i like like roughly shit right or whatever for lila Mm -hmm. and like noah's judgment and protection of her um roommate and best friend who is a trans woman and i think it really is like a really beautiful exploration of like how they have to become friends i mean in this case like the friends become lovers right um Although this is like a, I think Kisses Only, it's like a sweet, sweet book. But I just really found myself thinking like it captured in a way that many romances don't how hard it is. Like that journey of like, I'm busy finding myself, but I'm judging other people who haven't found themselves yet. And, mm-hmm, right does that mm-hmm. make sense and mm-hmm, and i just mm-hmm. i this book it, i read a couple of years ago and it really stuck with me like it's one of those books that i really wish like more people knew about and because i think it's a, just a really terrific example of like if if someone was like i really want a new adult romance this is almost always the one i say like really like leans into what does that really mean and what does that really look like it's great This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Victoria Lum, author of The Sweetest Agony. Now, 
Here's a book for everyone out there who's always asking us to give them more friends to lovers romances. This one is full of long distance pining and unrequited love. Jess, our main character, has it all together. She has a great job. She has a great life. She has a great boyfriend. And as is always the case in these books, it all falls apart. And when it does, she turns to the one person who has always been there, her best friend from high school, James. Here's the catch. James moved away when they were in high school. And now their relationship has been built over the years on long distance video chatting. And that's it. They haven't seen each other since high school. Of course, James harbors a very big, very longstanding, unrequited love for Jess When he sees his opportunity to finally shoot his shot, he does not hesitate. He walks into town. And let me tell you something. This guy doesn't look like a high school boy anymore. He doesn't act like a high school boy anymore. And we get to watch Jess fall fully in love with this man who she's loved forever, which is the real promise of the premise with Friends to Lovers. Uh, You can get The Sweetest Agony in print or ebook, or with a monthly subscription to Kindle Unlimited. Thanks so much to Victoria Lum for sponsoring the episode. Well, since you're talking about um, queer romance, I want to talk about uh, Ashley Herring Blake's series. Oh, um, right. Sure. With the, the um... Bright Falls series, which so it begins with Delilah Green doesn't care. And then it goes to Astrid Parker Doesn't Fail. And then the third one, which is coming out uh, this year, is called Iris Kelly Doesn't Date. And Great titles. Yeah. yeah. I mean, great titles. And I will say I had heard about these books and I'd had them on my on a pile, um, you know, but in that way that sometimes you just have a book on a pile and like don't get to it. And then I was at our friend's uh, pocket bookshop in – uh, Lancaster. Lancaster, Pennsylvania, um, which is a, a queer, feminist, anti-racist bookstore in Lancaster, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, and they are fabulous. And if you ever get a chance to be out there, head over there because they're also it's in a gorgeous. It's like the perfect bookstore. This is me pausing to just talk about how perfect <laughs> this bookstore is, which I've done before, <laughs> but it's like in a big old Victorian with a wraparound porch and like there are all these nooks and crannies and all I want to do is just live in this bookstore. But anyway, the owners of this bookstore had a stack of, (laughs) this was not when Delilah Green came out, but they had a stack of Delilah Green books literally next to the register. (laughs) And I was like, oh, what's, you know, what's going on here? And they were like, oh, we just hand sell this book to literally everybody who comes to the Like, And I was like, I love that you're just like, we love it so much. It's just here. Like, it's just so we don't have to go Mm -hmm. running. (laughs) So um, I immediately read it and it really was delightful and what this speaks to Sophie what you were saying about the friend relationship not necessarily being entirely there at the beginning like you're connected but you're not each other's people so in the first book Delilah who has like left town and sort of sworn that she would never come back to this like tiny town outside of Portland um is sort of comes back to Bright Falls because her stepsister, Astrid, from the second book, 
is getting married and she needs a photographer. Delilah's a photographer and there's like and she offers her a bunch of money and sort of makes it impossible for her to say no. So Delilah mm-hmm. comes back to Bright Falls where she meets um like so when she so when they were young, Delilah and Astrid were stepsisters. Astrid had these like friends who were not nice to Delilah. Like they were they were all like the kind of rich kind of stuck up bright falls crew and delilah was like kind of an outcast which is why she took off and never and said like i'm never coming back so she gets there and she's taking pictures of the stepsister's wedding which of course doesn't happen because she's the hero i know i was like i was like something must happen there (laughs) right um so she's taking pictures of the stepsister's wedding and she's she like slowly falls in love with this woman claire who she was they were not like they did not get along when they were young. There's a third friend, Iris, who is the heroine of one of the heroines of the third book. Um, I haven't read that book because it's not out yet. Um, but there is the the connections here are very fragile at the beginning because nobody really it comes from that sort of youthful we were all trying to make our way yes. and understand each other and there were miscommunications and maybe like we didn't really like you or we thought you were a little weird, but now we're growing up and like that's not the same anymore. But all that baggage from youth is still kind of there. Mm-hmm. And as we all mm-hmm. know, when you return home to the place where you were the weirdo outcast right. <laughs> that you swore you'd never return home to, you're, it's very hard to shake that off. And yeah. so – what happens in this book is Delilah falls in love with Claire and then at the same time kind of inherits this friend group that she never – she was always kind of nervous around when she was young. And so what I love about it is over the course of the series from Delilah Green through the um, Astrid Parker book and now with Iris, the third book that's coming, what's fascinating about it is – where the first two had their own kind of messy friendship navigation. In Iris's book, they are a tight-knit community of friends. And Iris is the only one who is single. And so she is both, like, happy for all of her friends for matching, for, like, partnering up, but mm-hmm. also wants wants that for herself. And so it has that other piece of the balance where it's right. like, now all my friends are partnered. now every Right, right. Right. Where do I go from here? So that's that series, the Bright Falls series. Luckily, it's a romance series, so everyone gets their turn. Everybody gets their turn <laughs> in this tiny little town. There's so many single, Hi. beautiful people. <laughs> Love it when you know it's coming. Love reading the book where you know that char- the side character you're falling in love with is next. Exactly. Uh, can we talk about coming. justice for Enid? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I have not forgotten. I'm fine. I'm fine, Sophie. I'm fine. I will say I have not. For those of you, if you are one of Wait, the many someone people, someone explain who have what that means. <laughs> emailed, tweeted, messaged me about Enid. I have not forgotten her. She's a secondary character in one of the. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys, I don't. Titles have no meaning, so I don't remember which one. But it was like she because she was in sub. She was she in was a couple in of them. Books. Yeah, I think that's part of the quote problem. Although I won't say a problem, <laughs> is that she was a secondary character in at least 
three books this is the one that's the problem too many books yes yeah you are second always a bridesmaid never a bride yes she was she actually was um enamored with the hero of uh the scandal of it all and he ends up falling for her stepmother which her widowed stepmother which is just you know a slap in the face for her she feels like yes like I've liked him since I was a girl, and he fell for my stepmother. <laughs> of course, that does he seem did. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, Enid deserves it, and I I fully acknowledge that. I'm and, sorry, um, I don't mean to. You, you know what listen. you should call no, it. Have here's not the thing: her. You should call it Enid's a bridesmaid, never a bride. Yeah, and it should be just like I, a I, cool novella that goes for out. Sure. I sure. it. The messaging will be clear because <laughs> when, and I want to say when she gets her story, Enid's name is going to be in the title yeah. <laughs> for sure. A hundred percent. Like Enid's day has finally I honestly listen. Be there. I'm so simple. I really literally just need, like it, like I, this is like, I think where I'm different. I know like you guys, it's honestly terrible for you to like neg your favorite romance authors for not writing a secondary character you love. But I'm just like, all you have to do is like send me an email that was like, she met a nice man who lives next door and now yeah, they have three dogs. Work. And I'll be like, that oh, doesn't work. Amazing. FYI. Maybe it works It does for, for me. I'm simple. Maybe for you. But how I'm many times have I'm I said, Benedict is fine. Yeah. He met somebody. He's happy. They live happily ever after. Right. And they're like, like what they about wear, Benedict? They, they read by the fire it's all very delightful and yeah. yes i'm dumb like, everybody very, so <laughs> you're very kind and easy that way but <laughs> if that's easy. the case i do i do know her story so jennifer when we hang up that's I'm right just, gonna just call, call me back and, and i'm gonna like... tell you exactly what happens because when <laughs> i've already got it plotted i just gotta have you know sure, minutes the time. And the days to do it but yes um i also was thinking okay so i feel like another real like comfort read for me is the brown sisters by oh, chloe yeah. um, chloe brown by like chloe brown chloe, by talia no, hibbert right. i was like yes listen when you put the i'm like who are the these names. characters and then you put them in the title and you'd think i'd like it but somehow i'm a fucking mess so yeah talia hibbert's brown <laughs> sisters series i think is another really like such a comfort read for me like just i love these women they're truly like funny you know everybody knows i have issues with like rom-coms not actually being funny at all but these books really are fun and funny and i think um you know i think depending on who you talk to everyone has their favorite um favorite of the series and i'm i love chloe i think in some ways i like the first the white one and the blue one the yellow one is not my favorite. Um, I think that's Chloe and Eve, Eve. if I have it right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just really love Chloe, I think, because she, the book, Chloe Brown starts off with her essentially deciding she doesn't want the life she wants mm-hmm. and she's going to go get she's it. She's nearly and, hit by a bus. Yes. And right. And she like, oh, God. <laughs> has like a come, literal come to Jesus moment or whatever and was like, I have to change my life. And so that involves like moving out of her family's home and having her own apartment. And she suffers, suffers from, um, uh, a chronic illness and so you know that's like been a really big impediment to her having that life and so it's like finding someone who's gonna like understand her and she ends up of course being in this like kind of you know hate fueled like but really we lust after each other relationship with a guy who in her building and it's great and I just think that that's like a really great example of 
I think like a I think that's going to be a timeless romance series actually. Mhm. I think we're going to love that one for a long time. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Um I want to just name check we've talked about these books so much that I it feels I want to name check yeah. uh uh Alexis Daria's m- most recent current series. Yeah. Uh, which now of course the name of the series is away from me. You know. A lot like Adios and um, Wait, you had me at no, Ola. No, no, mm-hmm. hang on. <laughs> Sorry, you're like whatever. Who cares? <laughs> Who needs a series name when you have a title? <laughs> you have the author name. We're you talking about series. The reason or... I know this is true is because I recently was looking at Amazon. I'm going to talk while Sarah looks this up. And yeah, every time you have heard Sarah talk about the Casino series. It's That's, not called that. It's, it's not, not called, called that. that. So listen, just slow your. It's roll, called lady. the Rules of Scoundrels, and I was the like, Casino series. I don't know because that's what it is in my head. <laughs> but I'm just saying. Listen, just apparently like this is not. It's not. Mm-hmm. This is so funny. I thought there was a series title, but apparently there isn't because on it's not on Kindle, so it doesn't. Well, there it's not on it doesn't Amazon, exist. So it doesn't exist. Anyway, this series, um, the Primas of Power, is what I was looking for there. But that's not apparently the name of the series. It begins with You Have Me at Ola, which we did an, a deep dive on. It, it The second book is a lot like Adios. And there is a third book coming. And the books are connected via Cousins, um, which is very cool. If you, I, I have a lot of like longing for cousin relationships because I don't have any cousins in the United States. And so I don't have this like, oh, my cousin is just always around and like hanging out with me. And Alexis really nails that that feeling of like having cousins who are so close and know you and your family and all your like baggage, like (laughs) all the buttons, everything, but are just a touch distant from siblings so they're able to kind of be more friendly than right right like that 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 part of like that that competition part is kind of gone exactly yeah i think there's something my daughter is best friends with one of her cousins and there's just something there that they were allowed that love from the beginning yeah like because it did that rivalry was lifted somehow yeah and so Alexis really nails this. They call themselves the Primas of Power, and they're really, really fun. And then, of course, Tracy Livesey's Girls Trip series, uh, which I hear she's writing. The I was, book I was actually going to ask it because that was on my list too. I was like, I wonder, I wonder if she's going to finish writing that series. Right. We've talked about that book a lot too. The girls, tri- the girls trip series is for best friends from college who have been traveling. They have taken a a summer trip they have a yearly trip that they have been doing since they were in college and each one begins with that trip and uh either you know one miss somebody having to leave the the first book is somebody having to leave the trip early because of work it's somebody and or missing the trip but the girls are so the friends are so much a part of that journey to love Sophie, I don't know if you have other ones that I actually have like a I would like to make a case for Ice Planet Barbarians. Oh, now <laughs> well, those women, ha- those right? Women have certainly bonded. Now you happen yeah. to be with the person okay. who brought okay. Ice Planet Barbarians to all of us, Jen, because yes. I'm pretty sure Sophie brought like, it to me right? and I brought it to you. I think yeah. so. Where's my 
where's my royalty check? <laughs> so when I first introduced that and started talking about it, people looked at me like I was insane. Yeah, no, I remember. We were at a retreat, Sarah, and there was a writer there who actually mocked me. Who The writer will remain nameless, oh, but I she know. mocked me for She's it. She's in my burn book. I know. <laughs> I actually. I was like, seriously, this is a brilliant series. I, yeah. I said, this has some seriously ingenious world building. Yeah. And then I got a laugh when I said that, but yeah. it is true. No, listen, it is. There, and now the whole world knows it. Yes. there. No, I will never, I will never stop talking about the fact that when you are in the heroes POVs in that series and the heroine is speaking in English and he's listening to her and it's just sound, you as the reader can still understand what she is saying. And oh, that yeah. is mm-hmm. genius. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's like really ramps up that whole, like we have to rely on each other. Right. I mean, when when they've really come through a trauma together, like they've survived and are surviving something together. Yeah. It's it's what we're talking about. They don't know each other. Right. Right. They they don't. Yeah. So they come into this world together. Maybe um, somebody should explain how this series begins. Check your content warnings, everybody. I mean, oh my gosh. Right. I mean, it's so calm. Okay. Well, these women are. are abducted from Earth, and they are abducted by, let's just call the baddies, but the, they crash land on this other planet. And I think it's important to know they are not abducted right. by the blue aliens. That, that pl- the heroes They're abducted the, by, the like, aliens, they, uh, another alien species. Yeah. yeah you know, that to is, be sold yeah. as fertile ground for. Yeah. Right. And all I remember is their heads look like basketballs. Do you yes, remember? I do. That? The like basketball head ones. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Th- so those are the baddies. And um, they crash land on the planet with, uh, you know, Ice Planet barbarians. And they're that's where they must learn to survive and in the first book the first you know heroin makes contact with the first one that's your first story so maybe there are many two, books are we are there are maybe 20 of them oh my god yeah, there's so, so many now yeah there's so many no but there the are maybe 20 on. girls oh 20 right maybe and not maybe we're never no, told because there are so many of them <laughs> you know what happens is it's it's smart like the first group is like there's actually a like clarity at some point that there was like a group of women who were kidnapped and kind of put in like stasis who don't really know what's going on mm. and then a second group of women who, and this these are like the first like six heroines maybe were kind of like figure out that they were like extra cargo and they are the ones who are like aware of what's going on and and so then when they essentially they go back and like kind of take the other women out who are like where the hell are we so it's like a kind of an interesting way of like continue you know what i mean it's it's a really right. listen but it's also faded mates right like don't yeah. they vibrate the, the men vibrate when they meet their faded mates? in the first right. right they have what's called like the queen yeah is that yeah. how you would pronounce it i would have to hear the audiobook to know i think the exact so too pronunciation of it that's how i pronounce but, it um, yeah okay it, it wakens and what's what i love what's interesting about this book so in the first book of course the hero and the heroine her queen wakes for him mates right like he's the one we must mate now in the subsequent books the queen might waken but later on like it doesn't it's, yeah come well, alive don't they have to the insert it yes. you have to 
it's like a worm that they put inside you. And, and the reason why is because it keeps you warm. Like it, it has it's two purposes. Where you, everyone right, right. now These is like, women you guys will are die. Are we doing? We've <laughs> now moved yes. fully far. No, but the afield. women will die. Yeah, without right. their mate. Right, like on this ice planet, they cannot survive until their queen is awakened and their hero is. You know, they've made it. They come together. So, I mean, but I think the thing that's like also really interesting is like these. You know. When you have everything else stripped away from you, except the fact that, like, we are humans together, right? Like, the way that these women, like, sort of support each other and some of them, like, no choice. don't, I don't want a partner here. I, you know, like, some yes, of them. and every I, one of them. Yes, it's really great. so differently. They, they are different who they are as people who've come into it. And they are going to handle this struggle, this being thrown into this world of, you know, yeah. you know survive adapt or die yes uh and they're all different people and they all react differently and some you like more than others some you don't some grow up and snap out of it you know it's really that's yep. what i think is so you love no, like ruby it's dixon like, here's knows this huge cast she knows the job she's she is a great yeah. writer and i will fight anyone who says yeah. otherwise uh for those of you out there who are like ice planet barbarians is my favorite i wish i had more people to talk to about it there is a whole podcast and it's awesome yes to. It's called mm-hmm. Ice Planet Podcast, and uh, it's hosted our by our Danny. friend Danny. And you can go listen to it. There are lots of. Were you ever a guest on it, Sophie? No, I was. I have not and you been. were. Yeah, yeah, I was, and Jen was. But the um, but you can go. She. It's exactly like when Faded Mates started, and we just did a deep dive on Faded mm-hmm. on uh, every uh, on books. What's yeah. the name of that Ice series? Planet. Right, that right. Immortals after dark. Immortals after dark. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Um, but she does a deep dive on – she has guests, and uh, they do a deep dive on every book. And so head over there and listen to those. They're super fun. So, yeah, I was sort of thinking. I was like, look, talk about a – I mean, because there's no choice for those women, right? Like, it's like yeah. we have to make a community together. And unlike – you know, mm-hmm. I like what you were saying at the beginning about the countess, right? Like, some of the people are in your group and some aren't. Like, in this case, mm-hmm. right, these women are literally like, yeah, we have to make it work, like, together. It's So, yeah, I think that yeah. – you know, don't sleep on that. Like, Ice Planet Barbarians is, like, kind of fun and hot. Yeah. I mean, especially the first mm-hmm. one, I think it really has, like, a different flavor. But, you know, it's also so much about them really figuring out how to be a community together, right? And I really mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So, Sophie Jordan, it is always a joy to have you. Um, I We love your books here at Fade Mates. We talk about them all the time. I love your face as my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I love hanging out with you guys on Faded Mates and, you know, the rare occasions otherwise. Really excited about the Countess. Mm -hmm. Yes. The Countess is in stores right now. It came out yesterday. Um, So you can get it wherever you get your books. And as a special treat for Faded Mates listeners, if you hang on after the end of this episode, you will get to listen to the beginning of the audiobook uh, right away. Do you know who the narrator is, Sophie? It's Justine Air. Air. Yes, she's great. She's fun, and I thought she, because there are many voices, oh, yeah. you know, with the, I thought she did a really she's great. She's great. Justine was a guest yeah. on the pod once. So. That's right, because she yes. did a lot of your books. So. She did the Bare Knuckle Bastard yes. series for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Stay tuned for that. Uh, you are listening to Faded Mates. 
I'm Sarah McLean. I'm here with Jen Prokop. You may have a local election coming up where people are running for library boards. Uh, book banning is happening around the country. Don't forget to check that out. Make sure you go to vote in your local election. Your school boards. School boards are important. School boards. Local school board elections. Yep. Yes. Local school board elections. Uh, as If you missed last week's episode, the, there is about 15 minutes with our friend Jarrett Dapier talking about um, book banning and elections and how we can help. But the best and fastest and most urgent way you can help is to find out when your local elections are and to uh, learn more about who is running. Don't forget to do that. You There are show note, links and show notes to all of that stuff. Thanks to our sponsors, The Vow Together Collective and to Victoria Lum, author of The Sweetest Agony for sponsoring the episode. Also, Immediately following this episode, you'll be able to listen to the first two chapters of Sophie Jordan's brand new book out this week, The Countess, part of her Scandalous Ladies of London series. Enjoy. Chapter One A lady rarely chooses her husband, but she may choose her friends. Is it any wonder she prefers her friends' company? Gertrude, the Countess of Chatham. Grosvenor Square, London, England. Gertrude set the scandal rag down with a contented little sigh, fully aware that this might have been the first time she had ever touched the wretched paper with anything other than contempt in her heart. As much as she loathed scandal rags for all the damage they could do and did, this one was positively delightful. None of its usual swill, to be sure. Good things were happening for Delia, and this signaled it. She would have choices, her pick of suitors, a fate of her own design. All things True had vowed her daughter would have. It was all coming together quite nicely. She reached for her nearby cup of tea. You look very pleased with yourself, Hilda said as she fluttered about the bedchamber, tidying the space and gathering things to ready True for the day. Oh, I am. And it has to do with that. Hilda pointed at a discarded slipper at the newspaper in dubious fashion. Indeed, Delia has found herself a subject of high praise in the tittle-tattle today. Chatham himself might have been delivered a subtle slap, but no insult had been done to Delia. There was that, and that was everything. Oh, her maid's eyebrows winged high. Has she now? Hilda gently draped True's freshly pressed daydress upon the chaise. Then Lady Delia should be pleased. Indeed. True nodded, her smile less than certain. She hoped so. This portended great things, things her daughter was too young and inexperienced to appreciate, but True did. True wholly understood. Hilda angled her head thoughtfully. What do you think, my lady? Your pearls, or perhaps the sapphire brooch is best? True considered the sunny yellow frock she was to wear that day. Sapphires feel more suitable for spring, I think. Nodding agreeably, her maid helped her dress for the day, cinching her tightly into her corset. Not too tight, True instructed. Gone were the days of a minuscule waist. She cared for Cook's crumpets far too much. I'd like to breathe. Yes, my lady, True studied her wild-haired reflection in her cheval mirror. 
She'd suffered a restless night fretting over Delia's first season, and her hair bore testament to that. It would take Hilda some time to tame the riotous tumble into something presentable. She sighed. People always said life was short, but it was interminably long when miserable, when unhappily matched. The days dragged then, plodding unhurriedly along like the slow, gentle drip of water from an eave. Days turned to weeks, turned to months, turned to years with no reprieve. Delia would be spared that. And yet, even as True entertained that comforting thought, there was a niggling worry. A dark little suspicion worming through her mind that could have been prescience if she was one to believe in such foolishness, which she most definitely was not. There was only the happiness, or unhappiness one made and claimed in this life. She would see to it that her daughter was given every chance to claim that happiness for herself. Jasper Thorne read the paper and then read it again before lowering it to his chest. He had yet to rise from his bed. Steam wafted from the cup of coffee his valet had poured for him and left on a tray on his night table, welcoming him to the day. In the distance, he could hear the servants stirring in the bowels of the building. The scandal rags weren't his usual proclivity, but life had a way of changing, surprising even him. And that meant he found himself not only waited upon by a valet, but reading the society pages and gossip columns, as though he were a blue-blooded gentleman who cared for such things. How else was he to learn about the world he wished to infiltrate? The bell of the season has arrived. Lady Cordelia Chatham, he murmured, testing out the sound of her name on his tongue. Lady Cordelia. She sounded precisely like what he was looking for, whom he was looking for. He flicked the back of his fingers against the paper in satisfaction. Those wishing for a titled and well-positioned bride need look no further. Indeed. The Earl of Chatham shot straight up in bed fisting the paper in his hand in astonishment, a curse bursting from his lips. He read again, distrusting his eyes. Lady Cordelia Chatham, his daughter. How old was the girl? His mind raced quickly doing the math. The chit was out. He could not recall the last time he had seen her. He certainly had not thought of her in, well, perhaps ever. Not beyond the day of her birth, when the midwife had emerged to inform him he had a daughter, a girl, a useless girl, not a son. He looked again at the paper, perhaps not so useless after all. In his mind, she still wore plaits and spent her days in the nursery, doing whatever it was female children did. Somehow she had moved past that, though. She was grown, and his wife had missed apprising him of that fact. Of course, Gertie was a priggish cow, not wont to do anything to satisfy him. The woman sleeping next to him stirred, but she did not move from the warm nest of his bed. With her eyes still closed, she reached for the bedding and pulled it up over the naked curve of her enticing hip. Since the moment he had married Gertie, she had been an acute disappointment, a yoke about his neck, his one great regret, but there was no undoing it. Unfortunately, his wife was hale and hearty and would likely outlive him. He was stuck with her. Stupid woman, he muttered. The sound of his voice startled his bedmate. 
She lifted her head with an inarticulate mutter, followed by, What is happening? Nothing to concern yourself with. Go back to sleep, he commanded. Then stop talking, would you? He glared down at the prime piece curled up beside him. She was a saucy bit of baggage, but he had spent substantial time and money wooing and winning her, so he would not begrudge her the impudence. He would endure her saucy mouth if it meant he got to have that mouth whenever and wherever he wanted it. It's my daughter, he grumbled. Fatima opened a bleary eye. Your daughter? Didn't know you had one. Apparently she's taken her curtsy and I missed it. How's that? Fatima propped herself up on her elbow, looking delicious in her sleep-must state as she squinted at the paper in his hand. My wife failed to mention it. Your wife? You have one of those too? Of course I do, he sneered. And you don't live together? Good God, no. He'd gotten his own place shortly after their wedding, a lifetime ago. Then how would she inform you? He scowled at her reasoning. Are you siding with her? The Countess of Chatham might be admired by the ton, but I know her to be a- Oh, the Countess of Chatham. I spotted a letter from her on your desk in your study. Quite pretty penmanship, I remember thinking. There is. When did it arrive? She shrugged one delectable shoulder. I don't know. Weeks ago. Weeks ago? Why did you not tell me, you daft woman? Her expression clouded. I am not your secretary. It is on your desk. It is not my fault you chose to ignore it. It has been there with all the rest of the correspondence you've been neglecting for some time. He compressed his lips. It was on his desk, unopened alongside countless unattended bills from the finest merchants in London. The Draper, the Haberdasher, his club. They were all a pesky lot, bloody impertinent nuisances, daring to beleaguer him as though he were of no account and not an earl of the realm. In truth, he had probably seen the letter and ignored it. A letter from his wife would have been viewed as something bothersome, equal to that of a bill. He would have pushed it to the side and forgotten it, much as he had done with her. No matter now. Now he knew. Now he could take control. His daughter was of marriageable age. Suddenly she was of use, and he intended to use her to full advantage. The Duchess of Dedham let out a whoop of triumph over her eggs and kippers and surged to her feet. The footman dozing near the door to the dining room jolted awake, blinking wildly. Is anything amiss, your grace? Valencia crushed the paper in her hand and waved it aloft. Nothing is wrong at all. Indeed, everything is quite right. At least for dear Delia. She'd just become the toast of the season. True must be thrilled. Navigating her sweet daughter through the choppy waters of the marriage mart had just become a less challenging prospect. Still grinning, Valencia sank back into her seat at the table. Her smile slipped. She stared around her at the empty chairs surrounding the length and blew out a breath. It was a lonely sight, as it was every morning. She had thought her husband and children would occupy these seats by now, except there were no children, and her husband was not the husband she had married. When she'd married Dedham, 
She had envisioned a great many things. She had not, however, imagined her mornings spent in such lonely solitude, but here she was. This was her life, her lot. If not for her friends, it would be an abject misery. At least Delia would have the chance for something different, something better. What has you so engrossed, wife? The Marchioness of Sutton looked up from the papers she was reading, snug in her favorite chair before the fire. Her husband stood in the threshold, leaning heavily on his gold-knobbed and gem-studded cane. Hazel was, as he said, quite engrossed. For no other reason could she not have heard him as he made his way toward the drawing room doors. His thudding cane always alerted of his advance. Oh, the tittle-tattle is full of delicious material this morning. As long as it is not about us, we've spent enough time featured in those pages. The Marquis was correct on that score. Fortunately, things had been quiet lately, peaceful. Her name had not been mentioned in the scandal sheets in quite some time. It was almost as though society had accepted Hazel's presence. No, this is about Lady Cordelia, Chatham's daughter. Apparently, she is favored as this season's darling. Indeed. Well, her mother was always a handsome woman. Yes, True is quite pretty. Her husband advanced the rest of the way into the room and sank down on a settee near the fire with a slow groan and popping joints. They'd been married five years now, and his mobility had diminished greatly in that time. She suspected he would soon be entirely immobile and bedridden. That was what came of marrying a man well into his twilight years. With good fortune and strategy and her mother's careful guidance, such would not become Lady Cordelia's fate. The Countess of Chatham was a wise woman. She would do right by her daughter and see her well-matched, perhaps even entrenched in a love match. Not living the life of a young woman bound to an old man, never that. That was only Hazel's fate. Lady Cordelia flung the paper across the room. Something amiss, my lady? That, that infernal rag. Her maid's gaze followed the paper as it dropped and landed in a crumpled pile on the floor. I thought you would be pleased. Pleased, pleased. She recognized that her voice had reached shrill proportions, but she could not help herself. Your mother is pleased. Mama, Delia scowled. How do you know that? Stella smiled enigmatically. The staff knows everything. Delia nodded distractedly. Yes, of course, Mama had instilled that truth into her, along with countless other dogmas. Always mind your words. Servants might blend into the background, but they were always there, watching, listening. Quarry, she growled. I've been reduced to quarry. I am merely prey. Stella's eyes widened. Would you rather not be remarked upon at all? Or worse, remarked upon and found lacking somehow? Please do not try to be reasonable with me, Stella. I am upset and I wish to remain so. Her maid nodded good-naturedly and moved to pick up the paper from where Delia had tossed it. How long do you plan to be, uh, uh, upset? I don't know, Delia grumbled, falling back on her bed and glaring reproachfully up at the canopy. 
the rest of the day, Stella gently inquired. Perhaps. She reached for a pillow and hugged it to her chest. Well, for 20 minutes at least. You take your 20 minutes, my lady. Stella patted her arm with a chuckle. Gather your metal. I'm certain you will have callers after your resounding success. She gave the crumpled paper a shake for verification. You shall want to rest and be refreshed. The wash of white canopy fabric swam above her until she felt dizzy. So I can be my charming and beautiful self, she muttered. Indeed, Stella agreed. And if I can't? Can't what? What happens if- She paused, moistening her lips. What happens when I can't be, when they all find out that I'm merely a girl and not that very special? Not special at all. What happened then? What happened when they found her to be a fraud? Chapter Two It is a strange fate that a lady should be valued only for her looks and ability to produce offspring, two qualities that are quite beyond her ability to control. Gertrude, the Countess of Chatham, it was a rare occasion when the Countess of Chatham's husband visited. True was alerted immediately of his presence when Mrs. Fitzgibbon met her at the door of the house upon her return home. Her stomach sank, immediately understanding the implication of her housekeeper's grim expression as she crossed the threshold in a whisper of starched skirts. There was only one reason for such a dark countenance. She did not need to say the words, True knew. The Earl was here. She moistened her lips and swallowed. When did he arrive, Mrs. Fitzgibbon? Over an hour ago, my lady, she answered as she efficiently untied the ribbons of True's cloak and lifted it from her shoulders. Over an hour ago, Chatham would not be happy to be kept waiting that long. Nothing extraordinary in that regard, though. She could not recall a time when the Earl was happy, at least not in her company. Mrs. Fitzgibbon anxiously motioned for a maid to come forward and fetch the parcels the footman carried in behind True and her companions. Fret not, Mrs. Fitzgibbon assured her, no doubt reading the dread in her expression. I've been plying him with food and that French brandy he is so fond of. He is content. Thank you, Mrs. Fitzgibbon. She released a relieved breath, even if she did not fully believe the words herself. Her husband content. Such a thing was impossible. He was always full of complaints. The food, the drink, the very temperature of a room, the company, her, could always be better. Especially her. Nothing was ever good enough for the man. In all the years of their marriage, True doubted she had ever spent a full, uninterrupted month in her husband's company, known simply in her mind as the Earl or Chatham, he had never invited her to call him anything else. The gentleman had been in her presence just enough to sire their two children. Procreation, she had learned, did not require an extended period of time together. In fact, True knew firsthand that the begetting of offspring took only a few moments. If not for the arrival of babies several months later, she would scarcely know Chatham had been in her bedchamber or bed at all. He awaits you in the drawing room, Mrs. Fitzgibbon motioned to the double doors. 
they were closed, but True imagined him on the other side, eating and drinking what the housekeeper had generously supplied. True had spotted him a fortnight past at the Marston Ball. It had been a cursory glimpse as he made his way to the card room, where the gentleman indulged in cigars, whist and hazard. Of course, he had not greeted her. The card room was his destination. She and Cordelia were not his reason for attending. He was there for only himself. She slipped off her gloves and dropped them into Mrs. Fitzgibbon's waiting hands. Then I won't keep him any longer. She turned back around to where her companions of the day watched with wide eyes. Rosalind and Valencia were equally aware that the Earl's visit was quite the singular event. My apologies, but I must rescind the invitation for refreshments. They had spent the afternoon shopping, and True had suggested they adjourn to her house for tea. We can stay with you, Valencia suggested, her dark eyes kind with concern. Yes, let us join you, Rosalind nodded emphatically. I would be happy to say hello to my brother-in-law. True grimaced, imagining that scenario. Her sister had never pretended to like Chatham, and the sentiment was mutual between them, to be sure. Whenever they were thrust together, their conversation quickly escalated into barbs and thinly veiled insults. That did not help matters. In those moments, it made Chatham even more difficult to manage, and managing her feckless husband had never been True's strong suit. I do not think so, Roz. Go home. I will apprise you tomorrow. If you are certain, Valencia still looked unconvinced. Her distrust was understandable. She knew something of profligate husbands. Thank you for your concern, but I am certain. Her sister and friend stepped forward to press a kiss to her cheek. We shall see you tomorrow, she murmured in agreement, but she had already moved ahead in her thoughts to the man waiting for her on the other side of those doors. At her stoic nod, a liveried footman standing nearby opened the drawing room doors for her. True stepped inside. The soft snick of the door shutting behind her rang as resoundingly as a bell. She found her husband much as she expected. Boots kicked off, stocking-clad feet propped on a footstool as he heartily drank and ate from the full service spread before him. Mrs. Fitzgibbon had supplied him a veritable feast. Even though he did not call often, he was the Earl of Chatham, and the kitchen staff was acquainted with all his preferences. They knew better than to leave him less than satisfied. He might not reside at their Grosvenor Square address, but he was lord and master. He was in control of their livelihoods. Unfortunate, but true, and that was never forgotten. True had married at 18, which had not felt so very young at the time. Not when all her friends were also marrying. It was the thing to do, the thing being done. Thinking back to who she was then, she had been absolutely puerile in her naive hopes and unrealistic expectations. She had thought she was living a fairy tale, and Chatham the prince of that story. It was an easy mistake for a young girl to make, a mistake for which she was still paying. Some mistakes were like that, with far-reaching consequences that still stung. Only six years older, Chatham had been remarkably handsome in those days, the catch of the season with his boyish good looks. She'd been the envy of all her friends. Not that he was hideous now, 
He was passably attractive for a man of his years, even if his once lush hair was gone. Sparse, pale brown strands stretched across the crown of his head. He bore a slight paunch, which he presently seemed intent on feeding, based on the manner in which he voraciously consumed a rack of lamb. She wished she could go back and warn herself not to be lulled by appearances or superficial charm. She wished she had learned the manner of man he was on the inside, before she spoke those ironclad vows. She wished she'd resisted her parents' insistence that she accept his proposal. She wished, she wished for a great many things, but she did not permit regret to consume her. It would be for naught, as there was no undoing the past. If the past could be rewritten, then she would not have Delia and Charles. Chatham, she greeted, as he had yet to look up and note her arrival in the room. His gaze slid to her. He continued to chew as he surveyed her indolently. Hello there, wife. Nice of you to finally join me. I did not know you'd be paying a call today or I would have been here to greet you. She knew her duty. He ignored the excuse. Out shopping? Bond Street, yes. He dropped a bone, picked clean of meat. You are ever talented at spending my money. My money? The call of the man. Everything within her ignited at the unfairness of that remark. She inhaled thinly, resisting the hot rejoinders that burned on her tongue. It was in these moments that she could scarcely reconcile him to the man she had first met, the man she had wed. Chatham did not have two coins to rub together when she had married him. He'd been penniless and on the hunt for an heiress, and she'd been every inch of that. One of the shining heiresses of the season, pursued by Chatham and a score of others. True had been the answer to Chatham's prayers, assuming he prayed, and that was unlikely. Her husband was not the devout sort. He prayed at the altar of loose women, gaming hells, and his current favorite horse at Tattersall's. And yet he'd had something to offer, something that made her parents overlook his insolvency. He possessed an old and venerable title, and two homes, one in town, and a sprawling ancient mausoleum in the Lake District, with bones that creaked louder than old King George in winter. Both houses were falling down around his ears, but they were still impressive and valuable commodities. It had been more than enough to dazzle her parents, so she'd become the Countess of Chatham. For years they'd lived off her very generous bridal portion. When those funds dwindled low, Chatham returned to her parents for more. Her mother made her painfully aware of that, each and every time. Not that it stopped Mama from handing over money. Her parents' mattered. They were everything to Mama. She could not have her daughter, the Countess of Chatham, going about impoverished. His accusation that she carelessly spent Chatham's money irked, considering her parents supported them, and he brazenly outspent her. Chatham treated himself to only the finest things. After their wedding, he renovated his country seat and bought a third house for himself to live in away from her and the children. A lavish house in Gresham Square, where he was free to entertain and keep whatever women he chose to warm his bed. He knew nothing of restraint. Whilst he maintained multiple homes dressed in the height of fashion, spent copious time and money in gambling dens, took lavish trips with lavish women, 
She lived a demure and unremarked upon existence with the children. To what do I owe this visit, my lord? Hmm, yes. He reached for a wedge of cheese and took a hearty bite. Our daughter, she tensed. Never in 18 years had he approached her about their daughter. It was not a subject he broached. He had been uninterested in her upbringing. True had made all the decisions pertaining to Cordelia, and she felt a stab of unwelcome fear at his sudden interest. What about her? She is 18 now. I am wholly aware. If her tone possessed an edge, he did not seem alert to the fact. He dipped another rib into the mint jelly and swelled it around the dish. It's time she weds. Breathe. So that was it, the reason for his visit. She knew this day would come. It was inevitable. Obviously, he would take an interest in their daughter's marital prospects. Delia had become quite the darling of the Tor this season, especially since the publication of the Tittle Tattle column a week ago. He must have heard that she was well favored and decided to do something about it. True had been navigating Delia about society prudently, mindful that her daughter always knew she had choices, that she needn't rush into matrimony, that she could, should take her time and become well acquainted with her future husband. True would not have Delia repeat her mistakes. She would not have her feel pressured the way True had felt at the age of 18. Delia has been honored with a great many prospects, she said carefully. You should be proud. I am certain in time she will make a fine choice that pleases you. Oh, I am quite pleased and ready to reap the rewards. He finished sucking a rib lengthways into his mouth and then tossed it back down onto the pile accumulating on his plate. I have already chosen for her. A long beat of silence fell in which True replayed her husband's words. I have already chosen for her. The words resonated like a death knell, each word a long, clangorous peal vibrating inside her. She felt ill. He continued, I have a fine match for her that will be of great benefit, so long as our daughter pleases him, that is. An invisible noose tightened around her throat that her hands longed to claw free. His words sent a bitter wash of fear to her mouth. She swallowed against the terrible taste as she fought for her composure. She knew better than to show fear. Fear was vulnerability. Animals attacked the vulnerable. And yes, in this respect, when it came to her husband, the analogy was apt. When she had first married him, she'd been naive enough to think he might care for her feelings. She'd bared her heart to him, revealed her vulnerabilities. But he had not cared. She moved further into the room, her skirts a whisper on the air. She seated herself across from her husband, holding herself poised and carefully asked, I beg your pardon? She had a solid notion of his meaning, but she could not yet bring herself to give voice to it, as though doing so would make her worst suspicions come true. He paused, chewing, and glared at her. Has your hearing begun to fail you in your advanced years? Her smile tightened, but she did not rise to the bait. Advanced years, indeed. She was several years younger than Chatham, but he treated her as though she had one foot in the grave. She supposed that made sense to him, though. He preferred his women young. 
Purportedly, his paramours were not a day over thirty. I have chosen a husband for Cordelia, he repeated with a heavy dose of exasperation, clearly annoyed at what he perceived as her denseness. Suspicions confirmed then. She inhaled a shuddering breath. It was inconceivable and yet so very unsurprising. Her husband had scarcely seen their daughter over the course of her life, but now he had found a husband for her. A husband, she mumbled. What do you mean? His eyes snapped knives. What do you think I mean, Gertie? Bloody hell, have you always been so witless? She flinched, not at his waspish tone, although there was that. No, she flinched at that dreaded name, Gertie. The Earl was the only one who called her Gertie, and she despised it. She had politely corrected him when they first began courting, but he had continued to use the moniker, and she had convinced herself that she could like it, that she should, that it was endearing. After their wedding, she soon accepted that she hated it. She had always hated it. She had accepted that truth as she accepted others about her new husband. Delia has a great many prospects, she repeated. It is much too soon for her to narrow her choices this early in the season. I will be the one to say when it is time to narrow her choices. Her maid entered the room then, carrying a tray of fresh hors d'oeuvres. Abigail smiled and nodded to True as she passed her and stopped before the L. She executed a quick curtsy and proffered the tray. My lord? Ah. Oh. He sat up and leaned forward, hovering a hand over the tray. These look delectable. Even as he said the words, his gaze roamed the young maid, particularly the generous curves of her body tucked beneath her demure apron. True expelled a heavy sigh, hoping the sound would put a halt to his lewd perusal. Of course it did not. He lacked all shame. The maid was not unaware of the attention either. Her cheeks pinkened as she waited, her arms shaking as she held the tray extended toward him. Chatham selected a tiny crepe, laden with honey-drizzled duck, and popped it into his mouth. Mmm, delicious. Your cook is a marvel. I really should visit more often if this is the fare I can expect. True's stomach twisted and dipped. Good heavens, no. Perhaps plying him with excellent food and parading pretty servant girls before him was not the best decision. Not if it kept him around. You can leave the tray, Abigail. Thank you, True said by way of dismissal. The girl made space for the tray on the table in front of Chatham, and then sent a relieved look True's way before hastily fleeing the room. Chatham watched her with a decided look of appreciation, angling his head to better view her as she departed. I do not recall her. Is she new? True deliberately ignored the question, not interested in fueling her husband's inappropriate interest in the young females on her staff. She had thus far spared the women in this house from his appetites. She hoped to continue that custom. Moistening her lips, she flexed her fingers over the knees of her gown. Might I have the name of the gentleman you have chosen? It was with great difficulty she conveyed those words. There was an inherent acceptance in them, and the last thing she felt was acceptance. She simply knew how to manage her husband. Direct opposition was never the way. She had to be more skillful than that.
Subtlety and cunning were in order. He dragged his gaze back to her, blinking as though confused. The pretty maid and fresh canapes had clearly distracted him. He'd already forgotten the thread of their conversation. The name of this man you have uh, chosen, she prompted. Oh, he is Jasper Thorne. She searched her memory. I am not familiar with the gentleman. She thought she knew the names of all the eligible men in town. She had a daughter of marriageable age, after all. What manner of mamma would she be if she did not? You would not be acquainted with him. He does not travel in our circles. Then why would you recommend him? If this thorn fellow did not move in their social strata, why would he even be a candidate in the Earl's mind? Her husband was acutely conscious of his place among the hierarchy of the Ton, of his very elevated place. In fact, he had time for no one who did not further his social ambitions and serve him in some manner. She would hazard to guess that Jasper Thorne was someone who could advance him socially. There could be no other explanation. The man was either rich or the next king of England. At Chatham's silence, she went on. The young Lord Rutherford is quite enamored of Delia, and she's known him all her life. His lip curled. Rutherford, that little lordling is not what I had in mind. There's not a mean streak in the lad's body, and he has always possessed a soft spot for Delia. There was great comfort in that. True knew he would never mistreat her. It was in his kind eyes. They softened when they looked at Delia. He worshipped her and would be grateful to call her wife. He shook his head. Rothford's family possesses only moderate fortune. We can do much better than that. Thorne is a man of great fortune, quite enough to go around. Chatham's eyes gleamed, much in the manner they had when he had admired young Abigail. Delia would be quite comfortable as the future Viscountess Rutherford. Delia's comfort is of no concern. Of course it was not. She was merely a daughter, a female, little better than chattel. No matter the class, no matter the rank, women were pawns to be maneuvered on the chessboard of life. The players, as always, were men. Chatham went on. I've only one daughter, thanks to you, and I intend to get the most I can out of her. With only one son, what choice do I have? True ignored the pointed jab. She was well aware he blamed her for what he considered too few offspring. Please, Chatham, I have never even met this Thorn fellow. More importantly, Delia has never met him. The Earl shrugged. A matter soon to be rectified. Her mind desperately sought something, grasping for anything that might affect Chatham and sway him from this course. I thought for certain you would want someone titled for Delia. He gave yet another shrug. A title means naught if a man lacks the funds to support it. This she knew he'd learned firsthand. It was what led him to marrying her for her fortune. And now it led him to this to selecting a suitor for his daughter based not on pedigree or character or love, but solely on how deep a prospective suitor's pockets ran. She watched him as he continued to eat, helplessness welling up within her. Rutherford can comfortably support her. He's not a spendthrift. He spends no time at the hells or on women. He is very sensible. Unlike you. His gaze sharpened on her, 
as though he heard her inner thoughts. Put Rutherford from your mind. He's not good enough. Not good enough for Chatham, because he can't or won't support his father-in-law in addition to his wife. Indeed not, Rutherford's parents would not permit that. And this Mr. Thorne is? Fret not, you will meet him soon, I've made the arrangements. Soon? How soon? She stared at him expectantly, her chest tightening with dismay as she waited for him to elaborate. He continued to eat idly, prompting her to demand. Arrangements? The Lindley Ball is tomorrow night, he will be there. I've made certain of that myself, securing him an invitation. I expect Cordelia to be most accommodating. Be certain to school her on her manners and what is expected of her. She should be most pleasing to him. She will not be the only young lady there intent on landing him. He frowned in silent contemplation of that. Do you think you are capable of handling this matter to my satisfaction, wife? Clearly, he had his doubts. She had her doubts too. Her thoughts whirled. Of course they'd planned to attend the Lindley Ball. They never missed one of Lady Lindley's fates. Now the Earl stared at her expectantly, awaiting her response. She will be polite, she promised, because no other answer would be accepted. I will make certain. Not that True need do anything particularly special to fulfill that promise. Delia was exceedingly well-mannered, a gentle soul, almost too kind for this world. And that worried True as she knew just how unkind this world could be to the gentle ones. Debutantes could be cutthroat creatures, and Delia had a target on her back as one of the loveliest debutantes of the season. I expect her to be more than polite. The Earl's gaze fixed on True again, and there was a decided amount of threat in the look. See that it is so, wife. Perhaps have someone else school her, as this may not be your particular expertise. I can recommend a few ladies. Your friend, the Duchess of Dedham. Oh, he snapped his fingers. Or the delectable Marchioness of Sutton. A faraway, lustful expression came over his face as he clearly envisioned Hazel, more than likely without her clothes. Now that is a woman who knows how to effectively use her wiles. I regret not having her when I could have. He was a pig. True could only sit in her chair, feeling impossibly small and helpless and full of impotent rage, as her husband waxed on about another lady's charms, one of her friends, no less. And yet, even as she sat so very still, a fiery ball of determination burned in the pit of her stomach. Her daughter would have better than this. Her husband would not win. True might forever be stuck, a prisoner of her husband's will, subject to his whims, but she would not sentence Delia to such a fate. She would fight. She would fight for Delia. She would fight for her as she had never fought for herself. Perhaps for the first time in her life, True would fight, and she would bloody well win.